Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to CoastalOaksChurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We start a new study today on responding to the call of God. We'll be looking at uh, four parts of this uh, topic in the Word of God today. We're going to look at four ways in which God calls, four areas in which God calls us. Uh, Scripture is full as you start, even in the book of Genesis in the early chapters, all the way through the book of Revelation, the call of God out to people who don't know him and people who do walk with him. Jeff Yorge is the president of Gateway Seminary where I got one of my degrees, and this is what he says about a call. I love his definition. He says a call, as we'll talk about it today, is a profound impression from God that establishes parameters for your life. I like that definition. A call from God is a call, that it's a, a, a divine, God-given impression that causes me, the one being called, to establish some parameters for my life. In other words, when God speaks, when God calls, when God arranges some things, I have to rearrange some things in order to obey that call. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and talk about the call and responding to that. Isaiah writes these words, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. And seraphim were standing above him. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Some believe the covering of the face is to show humility. Others, the, uh, then the covering the feet is to show that service to God. And then the, the flying with the wings to show active obedience and, and worship of God. And one called to another. These seraphim called to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the earth. And the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah writes this. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's impression of the, the holiness of God reveals to him his sinfulness and, and his heart and the heart of the people of God because he's seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed and your sin atoned for. A symbolic act there. Some believe this was literally Isaiah in the temple. Others believe that Isaiah was having this vision. I'm not sure which one it is, but, but God is speaking to Isaiah and showing him that his sins have been atoned for. But the verse 8 is what I want to focus in on today. Seeing the holiness and the majesty of God and, and uh, Isaiah brought to brokenness. He says this, then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? I believe a direct reference to the Trinity. Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. We're gonna come back to Isaiah's call in a minute, 
But I wanna just take that as a springboard to talk about how God calls his people and we're to respond to that call. So the first call I wanna talk about today is the call, we are called to salvation. We are called to salvation. God calls everyone to this. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's the call of Jesus to the person who is in their sin, a person who is disobedient, rebellious from God, a person who doesn't know God. Come to me, and I will give you rest from the burden of the guilt of your sin. In John chapter 6, verse 44, the Bible says, no one comes to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. Jesus says, the way you come to know him is God draws you to himself. So we have this call to salvation. Come to me, Jesus says. If you're burdened with your sin, come to me and you'll find rest. In another place, the Father draws us to the Son. And I love 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord does not delay his promises. Some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting, that any to per- not wanting any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's desire, God's will, that lost people come to know him as Savior. It is God's will that no one turns their back on him. He wants all to come to repentance. One of my favorite verses, we use it all the time, is John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, He gave the right to become the children of God to those who believed in his name. Here's this this invitation, come to me, and the way you come to me, Jesus is saying, is you receive me. I don't understand everything that means, but it works for me. I understand the concept of this gift of salvation that's offered to me. The Bible says that God's salvation is a free gift. Ephesians, look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's a free gift. And I, as a, a person responding to the call of God for salvation, receive that gift. The way I did that is I believe the biblical way. As Romans says, if I'll confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. I trusted him as my Savior. God's call to salvation. Come to me. Receive me as Savior. Even back as far as Genesis chapter 3, you have the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And You may remember the story, maybe you haven't heard it, where where Adam and Eve are offered this fruit. It's forbidden fruit, but the the serpent offers them this fruit and entices Eve to take the fruit, and Adam takes the fruit. And and so Adam and Eve have now now sinned against God, and and they had been walking in obedience with God and fellowship with God in the garden, but now that they've taken this fruit that they're not to eat, they've been isolated from God. And I love the the statement or the question that God asks them in Genesis chapter 3. Adam, he calls out to the man, where are you? Now, God hasn't lost Adam. He knows exactly where Adam is. You know what he's saying to Adam? Adam, I want you to recognize. I want you to recognize that you've sinned against me, and there's a barrier between us now, and I want you to trust me. I want you to come back into fellowship. That's the call of God. One of the fun things we've done over the holidays at our house is working puzzles. Uh, we, we're cheap. We don't buy new puzzles. We go to castaways or wherever we can to buy a used puzzle. Boy, that, that's a step of faith, isn't it? <laughs> Especially if the box has been opened. And we've made a few of those puzzles where we got right down to the, we're working our way, and there might be five or six different pieces left, and we're, or, or openings left, and we're working it down. And pretty soon we realize we've put all the pieces in, but there's still a piece missing. And we're, I'm thinking there's one piece that has to fit that, and Either it fell on the floor and the dog chewed it up or whatever, or when we bought it, it wasn't there. And there's this this one piece that's missing. And I I think about the gospel. 
that this is God's offer to us, that there's this one piece missing in our life until we have Christ as Savior, our life is not what it should be. We don't have the forgiveness of God. We haven't received him by faith. My own personal testimony, and much of today's sermon is gonna be my testimony, is that I was raised in a Southern Baptist church, and from the time I was a little kid, I heard that Jesus loved me. I, I ate vanilla wafers and orange Kool-Aid in the church nursery and grew up and stacked those big red cardboard blocks. Anybody remember those? And, and I grew up from, a, from childhood hearing that Jesus loved me. And when I got to a certain age, my mom said to me and my sister, hey, don't you think it's about time you join the church? What are you gonna say? Sure. So we went and we talked to the associate pastor, my sister and I both, and he asked us all the questions. Who is Jesus? What did he do? <laughs> Do you want to go to heaven? What does a, you know, a seven-year-old kid say? Or I may have been five or six. What, what do you say? Well, yes, Jesus it loves me, and he died for me, and sure, I want to go to heaven. So I filled out a card. I may have prayed a prayer. I don't remember. I filled out a card, and, and they baptized me. And I was a church member. I was even a Baptist. But as I began to understand, as I grew up and became a teenager and understood what sin was, and what rebellion against God was, I discovered that I had never trusted Christ as Savior. I had merely filled out a card and maybe prayed a prayer with a pastor. And God brought me under deep conviction that what I needed was to receive Christ as Savior. I needed to answer his call to salvation. And y'all, it wasn't my mom's call. I'd already answered that one. That didn't get you to heaven. I answered God's call to salvation. That's the first call. If you've never trusted him as your savior, we're gonna ask you to do that in just a few moments to give you an opportunity to, to just say, I, I know that I've sinned. That's all of us, right? Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I believe that Christ died for me and I want him to be my Lord, my savior, my boss and I wanna trust him with my life and with eternity. We'll give you an opportunity to do that, to answer the call to salvation. Now for those of us who have answered that call, you are now called believers or Christ followers or Christians. There's a call that you have received also, and it's our second call to look at today. We are called to share the gospel. Once you've trusted Christ, we talked about this, I think, last week, the reason he leaves you here is so you can share him with others. It's the call to share the gospel. Acts 1.8, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. It is a call to witness is to testify. We've used the word witnessing so much in the Christian life that we really forget what it is. It's just to, it's to testify to something that you've known or experienced. So what I am doing is I'm saying to another person, I may not have all the answers, I may not know all the Bible verses, but I do know this, that Jesus loves me, he died for me, I have trusted him with my life and with eternity, and I want you to know that same relationship that I have with him. That's what it means, to witness for Christ. We have the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus came near to his disciples as he's leaving them and says, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you to the end of the age. That go and make disciples, that's a call to go and share Christ with others. Now, we at Coastal Oaks Church have really tried to embrace the full meaning of make disciples, and it's not just to tell them about Jesus, but it's to train them and teach them to follow Jesus. But before you teach them and train them to follow him, you have to let them know that, he, that they need to trust him. Our calling as Christ followers 
is to share the gospel with others. Every one of us who know Christ as Savior has been given that call in Scripture. You, put your name in there, will be my witnesses. You will go and share the gospel. That's what we're called to do. One of my favorite stories, accounts, is in the the book of 2 Kings, chapter 7. You have a story of four lepers. There's a siege taking place in, in the city, and the four lepers go to the city gate, and they're debating if we go in, they might kill us, and if we, if we leave, we might die. So they go to the camp of the Arameans and just say, let's go to the camp of the Arameans, the people that were the, the enemy, and let's just, let's just uh, show up and, and see if they'll take us in. If we die, we die, whatever. They go to the camp of the Arameans, and the camp has been, has, everybody's left the camp, and they've left all the food and all the spoils. It's like a, God has sent a, a, a uh, an army to, to, to send the Arameans away. And they, they don't know, it's just a supernatural act of God. And so the lepers dive into this feast that they have, all of the spoils of victory, and, the, and they're sitting there in, or in, embraced all, with all this stuff they have. And, and one of them says to one of the other, this is a day of good news. We can't keep this to ourselves. I love that. And that those lepers come to this conclusion that we need to go back into the city that's under siege and tell them we've found the spoils of victory because God's routed the enemy. This is a day of good news. We need to share it with others. We're all called to share the gospel. I'd only been a believer for probably about five years. I moved to Houston, Texas and became active in a church there where Kelly's dad was the pastor and uh, we had a growing singles group. We start, when I got there, there were like five or six of us, and within a amount, short amount of time, there were like 100 single adults. And uh, at one point in the, uh, as we're growing, we're trying to organize that class of, of singles to, to be a, an organized group. You know, you want somebody who's gonna lead in prayer and somebody's gonna re- lead in outreach. And, and Kelly's dad preached a sermon about fear. I remember like it was yesterday. About, he said, if you're afraid of something, just get right up next to it. And let God show you how you don't have to be afraid of it. Man, while I was sitting out there, I was sitting right over there. Not in this church, but in that church. God just spoke to me and said, you're afraid of telling people about Jesus. You just need to go do it. So I volunteered in that singles department to be the outreach leader. Scared to death to tell people about Jesus. But I said, I'm going to do what I need to do because I'm supposed to do that and I'm going to do it. And I, I volunteered to lead that group. And we volunteered to lead a group, you should do what you're asking them to do. Did you know that? Usually works better that way. We began visiting singles and knocking on doors. And many of you have heard my story about my first attempt to share Christ. Everything went wrong. I did everything wrong. When I, uh, it was a long conversation with this guy. And after I'd finished, I said, what do you think? And he said, I think I'm going to be late to work if you don't let me get out of here. <laughs> Not the response you want to hear the first time you share the gospel with someone. But the next week he came to know Christ because I was faithful. Folks, you don't have to do it right. You don't have to do it well. Just just do it. We're called to share the gospel. The first two calls. Here's the third call that we'll look at today. Sometimes we're called to return home. Sometimes we are called to return home. I want to go to Luke chapter 15. You have the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And I want to read about the lost son. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Because some of you are like this lost son today. 
Jesus also said to them, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat to fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. I love verse 17. Then he came to his senses. Some translations say he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll I'll get up. I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. And I can see him rehearsing this speech over and over and over again. However far away it was that he's going to his father, he's rehearsing this speech. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired hands. And he's probably ready to say it to his dad. But the Bible says he got up and went to his father, verse 20. But while his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and here's his speech, right? I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, verse 22, the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet, and then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is now alive again. He, he is, was lost and is now found. So they begin to celebrate. I want you to hear that story if you're a prodigal because that father is a picture of our heavenly father who is waiting for you. I want you to picture our heavenly father sitting on the porch, looking out down the road that leads to the farm, praying for you to come home, waiting for you to come home. Folks, he wants to run to you and embrace you and say, come home, come home. There's a song we used to sing, softly and tenderly Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. The Father is calling some of you today to come home. You would say, Pastor Kevin, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know that I'm going to heaven, no doubt in my mind, but I have gotten so far away. Today I need to come home. He's sitting on the porch waiting for you. I just want to stop here and pray. Let's pray together, okay? I want to finish my point, my last point in my outline, because we are not through. Isaiah chapter 6 again. Just want to focus on verse 8. Isaiah says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. The fourth call I want to talk about is some are called to go. Some are called to go. I want to 
contrast Isaiah's response with Jonah's response. Do you remember Jonah's response? In Jonah chapter 1, Jonah said, go to Nineveh and preach against it. The Bible says in verse 3, Jonah ran up and fleed to Tarshish. God says to Isaiah, who will go? And Isaiah says, here I am. God says to Jonah, will you go? And he says, I'm going the other way. When God speaks, it is our responsibility to respond to his call, especially when he calls us to go. I think the easiest thing for Isaiah would have been just to stay where he was and let somebody else take care of preaching to his people. I think the easiest thing, I know the easiest thing for Jonah would have been for Jonah just to stay where he was, let somebody else deal with Nineveh. Ultimately, God worked in Jonah and he responded, but I want us to talk about the importance of being obedient to the call to go. I was thinking through my testimony to share with you today. My, my call to ministry took place in that same church in Houston where I, I told you I stepped out in faith to become the outreach director for our singles department. As God worked in my life and worked in my heart and, and began to reveal to me that he wanted to use me in ministry, I was scared to death. I can remember praying, God, you've got the wrong guy. I said that. I told God he had the wrong person. I'm like Moses, you know. Moses said, here I am, send Aaron. That was, that was me. God continued to deal with my heart, and, and I finally came to that place where I have to, I've just got to say it. God's calling me into ministry. I was running around the track with Kelly's father. If you wanted to talk to the pastor on Sunday night after church, you, you went jogging with him. Well, I say running. He didn't jog. He ran. We're running around the track, and I'm trying to explain to him why I'm not good enough to be a pastor. That's, try that sometime. And we're running along, and I'm just, I'm just really, just all the stuff in my brain and my heart, I'm just spilling it out, and, and he's running along, and he just stops and puts his hand in front of me and stopped me. He said, young man, he said, you have one question to answer. Is God calling me? And he took off running. And he left me standing there. No more excuses, no more what ifs, no more but only, no more anything, but it was, yes, God's calling me, and I, and I answered that question, yes, he's calling me, and I surrendered my life to be used, not knowing what would happen. God's worked in a lot of ways in my life. I was thinking about my call to Coastal Oaks Church, how God spoke to me about coming here and meeting with this group of people and talking to them. I actually came to talk to the people of Coastal Oaks Baptist Church at the time about helping them find a pastor because I, was, I wasn't looking to be their pastor. So I came and their search committee interviewed me about what should we be looking for and how should we do this? And I just freely told them, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to look for. And they came back and said, would you be interested in talking to us? And God had already told me to say yes when he called, and God started calling me to this congregation. And I questioned that. I thought about Acts chapter 16, where Paul is trying to go one way, and the, the Spirit enable, uh, prevents him, and then he tries to go another way, and the Spirit prevents him, and he finally just surrenders to the Spirit of God. That's where I was, and I came to this church, and, and uh, this is what God has done in this ministry over these years. Kind of fast forward to, I'd been here a while, and God started calling me to get my doctorate. And again, I had all the excuses in the world. I'm not smart enough. Um, I, I can't do that. I can't afford it. I even, I, I ordered the paperwork two or three times and, and never did anything with it because I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Finally, God said, you need to do this. 
And I, I finally got in the program and I went through it and I stepped out in faith, not knowing what it was gonna be like and God worked and he, he made me a better father, a better husband and a better pastor because of that, because I followed his call into that which something I was uneasy about. About five years ago, I went through burnout and I stood here before the congregation and said, I, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm, 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 I'm done. I can't go any longer. And the church gave me a sabbatical. And I went away and I spent some time overseas with my daughter and spent some time uh, with my son. And Kelly and I traveled. We saw family. We came back. But in the, in the process of one of those retreats during that sabbatical, I was praying because I had come to the place where I really felt like God wasn't listening to me or wanting to use me anymore, and I was walking, praying. I went to a counselor, and he said, when you're, when you're depressed, just walk. So I walked every day. And I was standing out in the field, and God spoke to me like it was like not an audible voice, but very clearly to my heart, Kevin, it's okay. I've got this. And I started pouring out to God all my burdens that I was dealing with as a pastor of this church. And God led me to take a rock, and God led me to do this because I don't do this kind of stuff. I took a rock and a Sharpie, and I wrote down all of my burdens that I was carrying. I wrote down the names of some people that I was carrying their burden. I wrote down the names of some people who I, I, I was having trouble with, and I just took that rock, and I threw it in the, in the river, and it sunk to the bottom of the river. And I said, God, all of that I give to you. And here's what God spoke to me through that time. He spoke to me to say, Kevin, that is not your church. This is not your church. This is my church. I'll do with my church and my people as I want. You just, you just follow me. Well, God brought renewal in my life. And we came back and began to serve here. In recent years, I've shared this with y'all. I've been transparent. God's been calling me to mentor pastors. I even applied at a, a college in the area, and they hired me as an adjunct professor. And um, then Hurricane Harvey came through, and all that began to change. But God has not released me from that call. So I want to fill in the the rest of the definition by Jeff Yorge. A call is a profound impression from God that establishes parameters for your life. And he goes on to say this, and this call can only be altered by a subsequent superseding impression from God. So can I restate that in my, my terminology? God calls you to a ministry and the only way he would call you, you could leave that ministry is if he calls you to another ministry. So we have come to this place today where I need to share something with you. So I'm gonna invite my wife to come stand with me because we have been called and we're trying to be obedient today. Some of what I'm gonna read you, I may have already said today, but I just want it all right here. You ready, babe? Okay, here we go. Dear Coastal Oaks Church family, as you may know, Kelly and I recently celebrated 25 years of fruitful ministry here at Coastal Oaks Church. These years have been the best years of my life. My plans were to finish my ministry here, teach at a local college, mentoring pastors and others who are preparing for ministry. 
Again, Hurricane Harvey sidelined those plans. Ultimately, God has impressed me to give up my dream of teaching and to trust him with my future. And this has been a difficult time for me, knowing that God has given me 34 years of ministry experience, which I want to use mentoring other pastors while waiting for him to show me how. It's been through much prayer and reflection that I believe God's finally revealed his plan for me. Earlier this year, I was made aware of an opening for a director of missions to lead two Baptist associations of churches in Central Texas. Because of my experience with the associations and with churches, I know what kind of temperament, giftedness, skills, and experience are needed to lead such a ministry. So responding to what I believe was a prompting of the Holy Spirit, I contacted several men who know me well and some who know the churches in these areas. And all of those I counseled with overwhelmingly affirmed that I would be a good fit for that role. And you know that I firmly believe in the importance of seeking God's will in all matters, especially as it relates to ministry assignments. And I've taught Coastal Oaks Church that God's Holy Spirit speaks to us through the word, through prayer, through other believers, and through circumstances to reveal his will to us. So through this process, I have followed that teaching. The events of the past six months and conversations I've had with family, with friends, and other pastors have all confirmed that God is indeed redirecting me to a new ministry assignment. You okay? Mm -hmm. This past week, an assembly of churches and leaders from the South Central Baptist area unanimously voted to extend a call to me to serve as their director of missions, and I've accepted that invitation. Therefore, it is with a deep, abiding sense of God's calling that I am submitting my resignation as senior pastor of Coastal Oaks Church to be effective February 16th, 2020. That's three weeks away. In anticipation of this transition, I've been talking with our staff and our deacons about how the church can be ready for this transition. We are so blessed to have a talented, gifted staff and some great volunteer leaders who will be used by God to navigate these days. I'm confident that God is preparing Coastal Oaks for a new season of ministry under new pastoral leadership with the potential for a fresh vision for the future. Really feel strongly about that. Words seem inadequate to express the emotions that Kelly and I have felt as we've walked with God through this process. We have felt so loved and appreciated, especially with the celebration of our 25th anniversary. The cruise, the gifts, the notes of encouragement have blessed us so much. I believe that Coastal Oaks is one of the greatest, most supportive and loving churches any pastor could serve. And it would be easy for me to stay here and finish my years of ministry with this dear congregation, serving alongside this gifted staff and these supportive deacons and other volunteer leaders. But the call of God cannot be ignored. I must obey. So Kelly and I recognize that this is a challenging time for Coastal Oaks. We will all grieve the loss of this special relationship we've cultivated for 25 years. We recognize that some will feel anxiety in this transition time. We have. However, I'm just as confident that God has a plan and a new leader for this church as I am confident that he's calling me away. The Apostle Paul's words to the church at Philippi express my heart. This is what Paul wrote. 
I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for you in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Yours in Christ, Dr. Kevin Meilenberg. I hope you're not clapping because we're leaving. <laughs> let, let me close with a couple of scriptures. Y'all be seated, okay? Um, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram. And as you read his story, you read in chapter 7, the Lord appeared to Abram. And the Bible says Abraham built his altar. And in the next verse, it says Abram pitched his tent. And, and that's what I've always wanted to do as a pastor. I, I don't want to be one of those guys that builds his tent and pitches his altar. Does that make sense? I don't want to get so grounded in a place that if God calls, I'm not ready to leave. Y'all, we just, we love this church. Um, we just remodeled our house. <laughs> Kelly loves our house. But I believe that, that those things are with tent pegs. So we're trying to respond to God's call. So... Um, in Acts chapter 13, God called Paul and Barnabas out, and the Bible says the church sent them off. So I would like this church to view this transition as you sending me off to be a missionary to those churches and pastors, all right? Okay, that's all I've got. Um, here's, huh? Godspeed, thanks, Ralph. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be dismissed. Who's our closing prayer, Sean? Uh, he, he drew the short straw today. Um, he's going to lead us in our closing prayer. We're going to be dismissed. Y'all visit a little bit in about 5 or 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to sit down on a stool here with a microphone, and I'm going to answer questions, all right, because you all probably have a few, right? So y'all have some fellowship, and then if you want to stay and ask questions about the process, about the call, about what I'll be doing, about what does that mean for Coastal Oaks, I'll do my best to answer that, all right?